0: here with Anae. Anae, thank you so much for coming in.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me, Mr. Scott. I'm really excited. I think
0: this is uh, one of our first conversations, really. I mean, we've seen each other around, talked to each other a little bit, but I wanted to sit down and actually talk to you a little bit and get to know you a little bit better. So I'm pumped that, you know, before you graduate, second semester starts today, that we get a chance to to formally talk a little bit. Yeah. So, Anae, I'd love to hear you talk just a little bit about um, this year, I mean, your senior year, how it's, how it's going so far for you and some of the things that you're participating in at Gilman.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, so senior year, I mean, the summer, I think, sort of, I was thinking a lot about, like, you know, my last year at Gilman, I've been here since the third grade, so um, I guess it's, like, the 10th tenth, tenth year I'm um, completing, and so, I mean, first semester's really all college stuff, I'm sure, like, anyone will tell you that, so it's really just stressful getting um, college stuff organized like you know, you know like picking where you want to apply to and um, all of that But so I made those decisions pretty early on in the summer. I sort of tor- toward colleges to get an idea But in the fall um, I was in the musical at Bryn Mawr. So that took up a lot of my time and um, Yeah, second semester starts today. So I mean I talk about it with my friends all the time about how like it almost seems like such a blur already like that the first semester is over and um, but yeah, I mean, I so traveling men is something that I'm a part of, and I sort of um, lead and um, also lead Paragon, which is our literary arts magazine, and yeah, I just try to keep myself busy on campus, um, like the writing center and peer ed. So, I'm a.
0: I want to talk about all those extracurriculars that you're a part of, and your college, I guess, touring experience and oh. application experience. I think will be good, um, but maybe just more broadly. You've, you know, you seem like the type of guy at Gilman as a senior that just makes things happen. You're involved in a lot of different things. You're super busy. Like, what's what skills do you think you have that maybe younger guys coming up need to adopt or can adopt to be, you know, you're a pretty successful guy here at Gilman. You got into a great school. It seems like, you know, I don't know you that well, but your grades are awesome. You, you're you involved in a lot of different things. What's your secret sauce? How do you make it happen?
1: Um. Thank you, first of all. But um, I don't know. I've just always been really, I think organization is really like the most important thing, especially. And that can make the difference between someone, you know, who gets good grades or bad grades. It's just if you keep track of everything, um, um, when you need to do it, how you need to do it. Um, And I'm like, I'm not the most organized person I know. Like, I will admit that. But I just think if you try to be proactive about it um, and make a schedule, have things fit. But also, I think the advice of the younger guys, I would say that. Um, you're never going to be, like, a part of these things later on when you want to be, you know, for college apps or whatever, just if you don't try it out in the first place. So, I mean, I would just encourage any underclassmen or younger guys to, when you come up to the high school or even the middle school, just start joining things. Start being a part of things that you enjoy. Um, I know it's hard to say, like, don't, like, try to think about what everyone else is thinking, but um, that's a piece of advice which that I wish I had gotten sooner. So I would just start joining things. Um, start being vocal. I mean, that's something that I had to sort of get used to, too. I mean, like being a part of class discussions and everything, I think that's what really makes a difference to me when I'm looking at someone that I look up to. It's just like, how do they express themselves, articulate themselves, and mm-hmm. um, what do they do and how do they do it in a way that they enjoy? So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's always what sort of I've tried to do. And um, yeah, that's...
0: So so traveling men is one thing that you love to do, and you're a leader in that mm-hmm. In that. Is it a club? I guess that organization.
1: Um, I would say group performing ensemble. I don't know. It's very um, yeah, it's a, it's a sort of nondescript sort of thing, but we're very involved, as you know. How'd
0: you, how'd you get into singing when did you first start singing?
1: Um I I guess my first like experience that I can remember with singing would be in lower school. So like I said, I came to Gilman in the third grade. I've a like a very fond memory of my lower school experience here. And um, the lower school ex- like experience uh, experience really uh, introduced me to things that um, I pursued to the state. So with singing, Miss um, Simon, our lower school music teacher in the fourth grade, she told me to audition for Roland Parks' upper school musical at the time, which is The Sound of Music. So they needed a bunch of little kids to play the the children in that show, and that was the first time where like someone pulled me aside and was like, "Hey, you know, you're good at this. You can maybe try something out with this." Um, and so I did that show. That was like such a good experience, and. Um, yeah i've been sort of singing ever since in middle school and i think the community here like the music teachers like miss incava miss beckman i think everyone mr ford um it's just really um they're all really great and encourage you to keep going so i kept going and um auditioned for traveling my freshman year and um yeah it's my fourth final year
0: so i was just talking to mr ford are you guys doing a trip for spring break yeah
1: we're going to portugal um that's amazing you no know, it's like i think 50 something kids with with the middle school and upper school combined so um wow exciting yeah wow that's a lot Mm -hmm. i went to italy um the last time we did this trip was pre-covid all of that so um, i was in the eighth grade when we did that trip and um i think it's just a special trip it's the only trip at gilman that sort of combines across divisions and i remember like looking up to a bunch of older guys quinn beagle i don't know if you're around that graduating class so quinn beagle uh, ben levinson matt like. A bunch of upperclassmen that I sort of form relationships with and then that's like the best part of the trip I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's super memorable. Um, I went on a trip to Italy my I think Sophomore summer of college with my entire lacrosse team in college 55 guys over there or whatever it was 50 guys. I mean You create such close bonds and you're in a different country traveling. I think traveling with other people in general just brings you closer to them yeah, because definitely. you see them in a new light so where are you going to go in, in Portugal?
1: Um, I I know we're going to Lisbon. I, that's um, like sort of the main destinations where we get first. But I'm going to be honest, I have not looked at the itinerary yeah. beyond that. Um, yeah. But I've no. like, Miss Beckman puts a lot of work into planning everything out. And we have a great tour company that um, sort of plans everything for us. But um, they really like uh, walking and sort of touring the city and getting a feel for, like, the history, the architecture. and. Um, that's definitely gonna be something I'm looking forward to.
0: Do you know who you perform in front of? I mean is the they probably set a bunch of performances up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we perform I, I want to say like once a day, maybe once um, every other day, but um, I Think it's just to the general public whoever like wants to come they try to advertise it as much as they can And then we I think we're doing this thing with a choir in Portugal. Um, so we sort of sing with them um, And that's always like a fun experience to sort of sing with other people from from Portugal. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, I've never been a part of a singing group. What
1: is that? What's that like? I, I mean, mean, I could say the same thing about like a sports team. I'm not the most athletically inclined, but, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's any team in general. I think, I mean, it's the same sort of principles of working together. Um, I think a big thing is sort of finding each other's ticks. Like you you spend so much time with each other. You want to make sure that everyone's happy and it's a productive sort of atmosphere. So, um, just knowing each other really well, to the point where, um, especially with music, and I'm the same thing for lacrosse, like um, the mood of the group really impacts your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we sound the best when we're happy, when we're interacting with each other, when we, you know, enjoy being up there with each other. So I think the biggest part of traveling men to me is really just social, like and, um, enjoying each other's company and um, knowing each other and so that we can perform the best that we can. How do you
0: guys, when you're behind stage or before you guys go up, like how do you get pumped up for it? I was watching um, the Australian Opens happening and someone posted a old video of Rafa Nadal the other day, who I love. But they're like getting ready to come out onto the onto the court. And, um, and the guy he was up against was just standing there. He looked super nervous. You know, he was obviously trying to prepare himself to get ready, but Rafa was taking swings and mm-hmm. he was jumping up and down. And I think the caption on the tweet was, when Rafa won the match before they even mm-hmm. got out there, but I, I think it's interesting. Like before you get out on stage, before you start performing, how do you prepare?
1: How do you get ready to go? Yeah, I'm. Personally, definitely the nervous guy who's kind of just like, okay, we got to make sure everything's all right. But um, luckily, we have other other people in the group that sort of balance that out. Um, Curtis is like some Curtis Lawson is just such a fun energy. He goes around and fist bumps everyone, and just like yeah. pats him on the back. Um, <laughs> James Stevenson is another sort of like uh, personality that um, just brings like a sense of humor. So I think just talking to each other, making sure I mean, like obviously, make sure that we know everything, everything's good to go. But um, just making sure that we're not nervous. And I think the biggest thing, especially with what we've been working on this year is just interacting on stage um together because not only is that gonna make a better experience for us and make us sound better but also we want to make sure that people watching like know that we are enjoying this you know we don't want to look miserable on stage um so we actually did like a mr. ford uh when we performed for the upper school at the beginning of the year mr. ford has to do like a little film review of our performance to like see how we're acting on stage and you can definitely see points where like gazing off into space like looking at nothing or whatever um wow you
0: guys watch film on your i mean
1: we've done it once but yeah i think
0: that's kind of interesting
1: yeah i mean it, well it's a performance and it, i mean like anything else you just want to make sure that um you're performing i think that's something that i forget a lot of people forget um you're so concerned with the sound you maybe not concerned with how you're appearing on stage mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I think of that
0: um, I mean that's definitely true when I watch a performance like you guys when you're smiling when you seem like you're having fun it just is contagious mm-hmm. and I think about that a lot in teaching when I come into the classroom how my mood, my mentality and teaching really is a performance too you mm-hmm. know you've got to get a group of people excited for the book and that's not always natural like mm-hmm. you're, why do you want to read a book? It's Tuesday morning after a long weekend and now we're starting a new book. I got to get you guys ready to go yeah. I've got to be energized and pumped up and almost sell you on it hey, so, you set the tone yeah if you're not excited about it then the students aren't going to be yeah um but yeah i've loved when you guys have performed in front of people this year it's just it's pretty cool i mean it's different than having a speaker and having announcements it there's a lot of energy to it which yeah, thank you i'm sure you um you almost thrive off of as a as an acapella group
1: yeah i mean We that's what like you said that's what an acapella group is energy and just fun on stage and um, we're yeah I've been trying to get us to perform um, more in public like because of COVID a lot of our performances were sort of like the gigs that we usually have Um, were either virtual or just like didn't happen anymore so this is really the first year that we're out there gigging um, sort of like normal I want to say and like the the more performances the better we're getting the more comfortable getting with each other so
0: that's the thing about COVID is that I think you know, it it impeded a lot of different industries in the world, but I think music is one of them because yeah. performers are used to being in person. Like when they had those live streaming concerts, mm-hmm. no one really wants to yeah. sit on their couch and watch a concert. Um, are you a big music fan outside of your acapella group?
1: People always are shocked when I say this, but no, I like, um, I don't really have any like music apps like Spotify or Apple music. Like I don't have any accounts. Um, and every time I say this, people's like jaw drops because it's such like a, a thing in today's society to like, you know, listen to music 24-7. Um, I'm, I'm definitely a music, music enjoyer. I can listen to the radio and like stuff like that. But I, I've always described it as like it's too much pressure for me to like go on Spotify and like pick songs that I like and like pick a playlist that I like and pick a band. Like um, I don't know if call it laziness or call it like just anxiety about that but um i love like listening to my friends recommendations and stuff but i've never been one to like sort of um make sort of like a music curation Hmm. for myself interesting Um, and i prefer to like um when i drive i listen to the radio but other than that like when i'm doing homework or painting or something like um I don't. I just like to work in silence, honestly. Really? Yeah. So when you're when you're painting, you don't have any background noises going on. No, not at home. I mean, um, the art room has a playlist going. a um, Big speaker in the art room, and that's always a fun. Does that vibe, distract but. you, or? Um, I don't say distract. Another thing about me is that obviously I sing. So when someone's like when a songs playing, and I know the song, I'm going to sing along. So mm-hmm. that might distract me in a little bit. But um, yeah, at home, honestly, like. Just silence works for me better. I don't know.
0: Wow, that's pretty rare. I mean, I've been uh, I've been running and working out without music recently um, Which I find more peaceful and I don't know I don't want to have the ear pods in my ears at all times I used to walk around with those things on and yeah, it's great in the morning when you're trying to get a little lift with some music, but I kind of want to be here a Gilman accessible to people. When I mm. see someone walking towards me with their earpods on, I don't know if they're on the phone, I don't know if their music is yeah. turned up, I don't know if I should really say anything to them if they want to be alone. It's just kind of a weird social dynamic when, when those things are in. Yeah, I mean, I have AirPods and I barely <laughs> use
1: them, so, but I, I totally know what you're saying.
0: Yeah, they... I mean, they probably should be banned on campus, but I guess you can't really do that. They
1: try. I mean, I, I see kids in assembly with, um, like, earpods in and stuff, and Mr. Smith just, like, snaps at them or something. But, yeah, yeah I, I definitely know what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Especially if you have long hair, you just put them in. and. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> you never yeah, know. Yeah. And it's—I don't know. I just don't really love those things. I like the cord headphones a little bit better. Old-fashioned. Old-fashioned. Yeah, I know. But— I like to play some music in class too because I think when you're writing, not too many lyrics, but just kind of nice melody to get yourself situated
1: is is nice for people. Mm-hmm. But that is surprising, you, you know. I know that is surprising. It surprises me sometimes. It's like you'd think <laughs> I'd like you know really be into music and stuff, but I mean I keep up with things as much as I can. And if music's playing, I'm not gonna like, ask someone to turn it off. Um, I'm not, yeah, you know, won't do that. But. When it comes to myself, I just, I've never really been into it. How about concerts? No, same thing with really? concerts. I mean, like we went to a Paul McCartney concert at the, the Oriole Stadium in this um, summer with my parents because that's what they wanted to go. Um, but other than that, not a big concert guy either. Fascinating.
0: Yeah. Cool. The acapella man who... I know, who
1: doesn't go to concert, to listen to music. <laughs> it's ironic. Uh,
0: tell me a little bit about painting. So I saw you a bunch in the art room the past couple of weeks. I was working on something in there. Where'd you get started what are your practices in the art room? Yeah. What do you like so much about it?
1: Um, so I'll start from the beginning, I guess. Um, my mom is really into art. So my mom growing up was always into art. And um, when my parents moved uh, to the States, my mom went to my, got a certification at my gun. Um, sort of always has been involved in graphic design, calligraphy, it's just artistic things. And um, I think that some of that was, my mom likes to joke that, When she was in those classes, she was pregnant with me, so she likes to joke that I learned more of the material than she did. Um, But I've always, at an early age, been interested in art and um, sort of a visual person at an early age, and my mom encouraged that, being an artist herself. And, yeah, when I got to Gielman, I mean, lower school art's kind of just like arts and crafts, um, from at least my experience, but the middle school Mr. Anderson, I think, is such a good, like, such a strong and like good person to have in the middle school and like he really is, drives a lot of um, that uh, age group sort of interest in the arts and um, yeah middle school sort of when I realized that um, this is something that I would want to pursue later on and you know I enjoy doing it and um, like I have a knack for it so when I got to the upper school I knew I wanted to take art with Mr. Connolly, and um, I think the Gilman art program is just so special especially mm-hmm. the upper school. Um, like. When I was a little kid, I remember walking around the halls and, like, the Lumen Center and seeing those, like, giant paintings um, on the walls. And when people told me that they were student paintings, I was like, that's crazy. Like, that's insane. Um, So I always knew that I wanted to have, like, a painting up there when I was, like, in the upper school. Like, that was sort of my dream walking through the the halls as a little kid. But, yeah, so, I mean, the Gilman Art Program, I think, is just so special in the sense that it's, it's tough. I think, like, that's the biggest thing about it. Um, you wouldn't necessarily think that like arts um, would be like a tough academic class but it has been consistently like my toughest academic class um, in the upper school because Mr. Connelly's just you know he's not afraid to tell it how it is and I think that's what makes um, artists in the art room really strong at Gilman because mm-hmm. they know their weaknesses and they know sort of what to correct because everyone's just so open with each other and, and um, like even the friend dynamic like um, my two best friends paint with me in the art room so that has definitely like strengthened our friendship. Just talking about each other's art, and I think it's just something. Um, the room itself, I think, it's just like a beautiful space to be in. Like definitely the the best room um, on campus, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my process. I mean, I've always been interested in like portraiture and figure, so painting people, and that's sort of what I focused on last year for my AP portfolio, and sort of what I'm trying to continue with this year in terms of like a senior thesis. Um, just painting faces and painting people, I think, has always sort of come naturally to me, and um there's something interesting that I find about just observing another person in the space, um, and capturing that mm-hmm. um in an artistic medium. Now, do you take pictures of people in
0: your life to paint or how do you decide on your material?
1: Yeah, so um I either take pictures of people or I look through sort of my camera roll, like pictures that I have, um, of my friends, my family. Um Sometimes strangers like sometimes that's um, freeing to just paint strangers because there's no pressure because you don't know the person
0: That's true. It's um, a good idea. Yeah, because sometimes I used to be really into caricature mm. Art and drawing people's faces mm-hmm. and I still am. I mean, I just haven't been drawing as much as I used to But I, my nickname in college was big cat so I had this Instagram page of big cat caricatures where okay. I draw my friends people in my life and I don't know you show somebody their caricature and if it's not flattering or if it's not what they mm-hmm. think they look like i like the I idea of drawing a go. stranger
1: yeah strangers are nice because there's no like you said there's no pressure for it to like look like them or like whatever you just practice the skills and um get better without any sort of outside perception on it mm-hmm. so let me ask you about carl Connolly's art program and yeah
0: i don't really know i've I'm in there working every so often, but I don't really know what it's like when you first walk in there as a freshman and then you get to senior year. And it seems like he can really make a student kind of blossom over those four years in terms of their ability. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true? Can you just walk into an art room as a freshman at Gilman and by senior year, you know, if you stick with it, if you do the work, if you try hard, be a really good artist by the time you
1: graduate? Um, I would say it's like half and half. I think um, so. Freshman year, anyone can take art. Um, it's just an elective that you can sign up for. Um, and so we, I remember like our grade. I want to say we had like thirty, thirty-five kids across two sections our freshman year, which is now little down to six our senior year. Um, so that just tells you sort of like how much it um, really just gets less and less. But um, freshman year, it's really an introductory course to like the basics of drawing and basics um, of. Mr. Kiley likes to describe it art as like the practice of seeing. So it's just he's teaching you how to see in front of you and um, capture what you see um, on paper in front of you. So the first semester is really drawing, charcoal, still life studies from life, and the best way to learn um, art is like still life studies in front of you, like not starting with pictures. So he's big on drawing from life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do, like, a mini perspective unit, so learning just, like, the basics of perspective and, like, interiors and exteriors um, with rulers and you know, pencils, like, architecture almost. I need help with that. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It was honestly my one of my favorite units um, when, that we did freshman year because I was, like, I'm really, like, a precise sort of person. You have to be really precise with all that. Um, so that was something I really enjoyed. And then um, second semester, you start painting. He starts you off with acrylic, and then you move pretty quickly to oil. And um, sophomore year is really just a revisitation of all of those skills. You start drawing again, you start um, painting again, just making sure you remember um, everything you learned last year. And then um, junior year is really where you get the most creative freedom in terms of what you want to do, how you want to do it. Um, junior year, most people do an AP portfolio, Um It's not an AP class in terms of like Gilman's curriculum, but you can submit an AP portfolio um, based on your work that you've done junior year. You have like a concentration and a thesis. You write about it, um, what you want to do, how you want to do it. And then at the end of the year, you can submit that to the college board. And the senior year um, is sort of the the same thing, an an evolution of like what you want to focus on and more freedom. You have the back studio space, of course. Um, But to answer your question, I think like... Mr. Connolly, what he does so well is, like I said, he's honest with you, and he creates this sort of environment of um, not necessarily of, like, you know, if you try it, you can do it, but, like, almost you have to try it. You have to sort of put in the effort. You have to be punctual with your homework assignments. You have to um, really pay attention in class. He's a big no-no on um, earbuds in class, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think just freshman year really dwindles down because people who realize that well, art's not an easy class. Like, I did this class to get an easy A or whatever. Like, they realize that that's not the case, and so um, the numbers definitely cut from there. But I would say people that stick with it are the ones that enjoy it. Maybe not necessarily, like you said, you don't have to be, like, an amazing artist and start off. Mr. Conley will get you there. He'll develop those skills for you. But it's really on you to um, sort of express that this is something you're willing to put work into. Because it's a big time commitment, too, I mean. Yeah, that's what
0: I was thinking. Like, on top of all your other classes you can devote as much time as humanly possible to art yeah
1: exactly and we have two homework so the way the homeworks work is we have two um submissions due every two weeks so a classwork simultaneously with a homework and so um you're making two paintings every two weeks it adds up and like definitely like you said you can work for hours and hours like there's no really end point um to a painting or something like that so um, a lot of people realize that the workload's like a lot um, and so that's a reason that they drop or another thing is you have to maintain a certain grade to keep going so you have to have a 90 or above in the class oh, yeah wow. yeah so that's another if you have thing. a b
0: you're you're done. yeah wow i it's, didn't know that it's harsh i know cutthroat
1: cutthroat so um, do you
0: have a workspace do you have a studio at your house that you do, do your homework
1: yeah luckily enough my parents um um so set up this entire art studio in one of the rooms in our house. So I have, like, it gets beautiful sunlight. I think it's really important to have nice light in there. Um, I have, like, a back wall with, like, a bunch of stuff tacked up and an easel and everything. Um, yeah, so I wow, spend a lot of my time cool. in there. Yeah, super cool. That's awesome.
0: Um, so are there certain artists, and this might be a tough question, that you look to for inspiration? Because when I was painting the last couple of weeks, Mr. Connolly was like, you've got to have some mm-hmm. Reference, artists. Reference yeah. artists to look at their brushwork and look at the details and how they see a landscape. I had never done a landscape before, and he was showing me, you know, some examples of that and, and giving me some artists. But when you do portraits, do you look for um, certain artists to try to mimic?
1: Yeah, 100. Um, percent I mean, that's another thing that Mr. Collins does really well is he lets you know that, hey, like your your student, you're learning. There's going to be sort of um, artists that have already sort of done what you're trying to do. And the best way to learn from that is um, to just physically have their work up next to you. So he's a big on printing stuff out for you and like having it next to whatever you're working on just so you can see it. Um, but yeah, every time I start a painting, I look online for references. Right now, um, I'm trying to base my work off of, um, there's this artist Emilio Villabla. I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, but I just found him online and um, sort of really liked his work. Um, Mr. Connolly is really good at suggesting artists yeah. and sort of past students of his. and um, so I'm sure you've got some Jeffrey Reed for your landscapes. Yep, yep, um, you saw that. Yeah. Um, I know when I, I'm not a landscape guy personally, but um, when I sort of was trying landscapes and doing them, that was a big thing for me, especially with landscapes. Just getting a sense of how brushwork works and like how the background looks compared to the foreground and what colors they use. and. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. And he, I have a collection actually a little. So, what he does every time he wants to give you reference artists, he like rips a corner off like a page and like yep. sharpies on it. <laughs> um, so, I have like a bunch of those. I collect them in my room because I think it's really funny.
0: Yeah. Um, um, so, in the hallway is your most recent work, mm-hmm. right? Can you talk a little bit about the inspiration for, for that one and what that process was like for you painting that? Yeah, for sure. Maybe we'll put this image in.
1: Oh, yeah, it'd be awesome. The video. Um, But, so like I said, I've been trying to focus on portraiture this year, and um, I've been sort of like, I mean, personally, like, I feel like nothing uh, before this painting that I had made was sort of gelling with me, or just like, I feel like I was just painting to get these submissions done. Um, So winter break, I really took the time to reset, um, and I think that's really helpful, especially just like, you know, I was winter break, I started this painting, and I had sort of had a clear vision going in. But it's a self-portrait of me, but there's sort of like different... um, angles of myself interspersed throughout there and like sort of like a transparent effect going on. Um, And I think that was something that I wanted to try like the the concept of um, like obscurity in a face or just sort of the reference artists that I was looking at um, all played with a sense of sort of distortion or um, like I said obscurity within like the features of the face or so I know that I want to sort of continue in that direction in terms of um, warping something or just playing with, like, how it looks. But um, this is also sort of, like, the one of the bigger canvases that I've worked on. Um, like I said, the art's a huge time commitment. So the bigger the painting, the more time it's going to be. And sometimes you just don't have enough time to work on bigger, bigger canvases. But um, I knew I had the time, so I chose to work a, a little larger. And um, so that, I think, just allows you more freedom, honestly. Like, when it's small, you get so caught up in the details. But when it's bigger in front of you, you can take a step back and sort of not worry about how every little detail looks. And that's personally with me, like my journey in art has been, I think, entirely about that. I've always been like super perfectionist and like need to, all the details need to be like 100% accurate. Um, and that's, Mr. Collins really helped me with sort of becoming looser and freer with like my work and like the way I paint it because mm-hmm. um, I think the work emulates the process as well. Like if you're painting it like super up close and like just like scrutinizing every little detail, then that's going to come across in the painting that it's going to have sort of devoid of life It's not going to have that sort of energy that you have maybe when you're being looser mm-hmm. um, So I tried to be a lot looser with this painting in terms of like colors next to each other and the brushwork So hopefully if you you can see that a little up close but
0: yeah, I was actually thinking about that a lot when I was working on the landscape because I was focusing a lot on the detail and the mm-hmm. col- and getting the colors right and getting I was t- painting some trees, getting the branches exactly right and the little needles coming out of the trees. And it was too minuscule. When I looked at Jeffrey Reed's work, he simply had brush strokes. And that was it. That was yeah. the tree. And it looked great from a distance. Mm-hmm. So you I think you also have to think when you're painting, and I could be wrong here, but you're painting very close to the canvas. When someone's looking at it, they're looking from... Yeah, at exactly. least 10, 10 feet away.
1: That's a big piece of advice Mr. Connelly gives. It's like like every 10 minutes or so, just step back from your work, step back it, um, at it from a perspective that a viewer is going to look at it from. Um, you're not going to be looking at it, like you said, that closely, and people aren't going to have that same eye that you're going to have towards your own work. And Mr. Connelly, like another thing, like you said, you can see the brush strokes. Mr. Connolly's big on letting paint, paint paint. Like you have to sort of wrestle with the fact that what you're painting is it's The paint itself is a physical object. Like you can't magically turn a painting into like an image that you're trying to replicate. It's always going to be paint on a canvas. Mm -hmm. So the sort of sooner you embrace that fact, I think the more your work flourishes. Mm,
0: Love it. So I'm still getting to know you a little bit and I know art is a big passion for you, but maybe this question will help us get into some other areas of conversation maybe outside of Gilman. But if you had a free Saturday, nothing on the schedule, I figure you'd spend some time painting in your studio, but what are some other things that you would do? Nothing to do. Uh, you've got all the options in the
1: world. Yeah. You've
0: got a full day. What are some things that you like to do outside of painting?
1: Um, I would say de- some days are definitely just like in my bed on Netflix. Um, I'm watching the new season of Survivor right now. Um, my
0: friend's watching that too. Isn't Survivor an old show? Yeah,
1: it's. Uh, I think they still make new seasons, but it's pretty old. And Netflix um, sort of just puts up an old season once in a while. So I think <laughs> the one I'm watching right now is from 2018. But that's super entertaining and uh, can definitely start a binge. But. Um, other than that, like I love making plans with friends, just going out like a, I think a good brunch or like a good um, dinner with someone is invaluable. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think the conversations you have like over a meal with someone are super interesting and I don't know, it's just like an interesting vibe. Trying out new places to eat around um, Hamden or whatnot. Any um,
0: favorites around Baltimore area?
1: Um, I would say, uh, the corner pantry is one that's like right nearby and my friend Lewis works there. So, um, that's something that uh, frequent, um, of ours, but any, honestly, any place in Hamden's Polly G's is a good pizza place that I went to this weekend. Um, Ekibon, another like uh, good chicken place in Hamden, but I think like Baltimore is great. We have a bunch of places to try out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say getting a meal with a friend, um, any movie that's new, um, like on any streaming service, I like to keep up with sort of like the new movies that are out. Or I love going to the movie theater, too. A lot of people aren't a big fan of going to the movies. Like, I feel like I ask my friends a lot if they want to go to this movie with me. They're like, no, I hate the movie theater. Really? Yeah. I'm like, I'm a big fan of the movie well, theater. I feel like
0: the movie theater is kind of dying out now with the
1: uh, streaming. streaming. Services. Yeah, I mean, I personally think we're seeing a revival. I think um, <laughs> there are some movies like um, Avatar, the new Avatar movie. I just, yeah. Um, How was that? Oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I think, like, also just the hype of it being... I want to say like 13 years. I don't know how long it's been since the first one, but um, yeah, I love going to the movies and I think it's such a cool experience.
0: The best movie I saw in theaters was Interstellar mm. in 3D in like 20, not not 3D, but IMAX yeah. in 2014 or something. And mm-hmm. I don't even want to watch that movie again because it will ruin that memory for mm-hmm. me. I was just, I don't even remember what the movie was about. I just remember it blew me away. Yeah. Put things into perspective and... Uh, <laughs> It was what it was wild. Um, cool. Well, yeah, Survivor. Interesting.
1: I know the social dynamics of that game is like the most. I mean, it's a social game. Yeah. Um, there's obviously a physical aspect where you have to come sort of um, win these challenges and tasks and everything, but um, you really got to navigate around a social scene and sort of know the players around you and. No, the personalities. Yeah, personalities, be willing to manipulate as a big thing. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Get on people's good sides, get on people's bad sides. Um, It's a great
0: idea for a show. Yeah, Yeah, it
1: really is. I think it's just entertaining to watch. People just love watching.
0: I I used to watch uh, Fear Factor. You ever see that?
1: Is that where they do like dares and stuff? Yeah.
0: Yeah, kind of. It's similar to um, Survivor, Mm -hmm. but it's instead of, I don't know, doing a race or – I don't even know. I haven't seen Survivor in a while, but it's like eat this, you know, bowl of Mm. jellyfish Mm -hmm. innards or something disgusting and then, you know, jump from this building. And it's things that people are terrified to do, but Mm -hmm. you win if you accomplish
1: all of them. Yeah, that would not be my (laughs) show of choice to participate in or watch. Like, I feel like that would just gross me out. But yeah, shows like that are so interesting. I think they're guilty pleasures, honestly, and that most people enjoy watching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so in addition to watching movies and shows, you seem like a big reader too.
1: Ooh, I'd like to challenge you on that. No. <laughs> i not, not the biggest reader. I would like to be a bigger reader. I think, um, the reason, um, I feel like I, f- any free time that I have, I sort of end up painting or end up like yeah. sort of, um, mm-hmm. um, working on sort of art and stuff. So I'd love to be a bigger reader. I'm it's something my friends are always encouraging me to do, but, um, the books in school i love reading but um i've tried i try starting books like outside of school sometimes on the weekend i just know i don't know i don't have the attention span for it sometimes yeah um but yeah i mean to be well read is like everything so hopefully that changes for me soon
0: well it's tough to be disciplined about your art and a book at the same time that's sure. a lot of it's a lot of focusing in on something but you did bring beloved today i did and yeah i'd love to just hear you talk about why why that was your choice
1: yeah, so um, Beloved by Toni Morrison, um, it's just, so this is a novel that I read last year um, in my English class at Bryn Mawr, so I had um, my coordinate class at Bryn Mawr last year for English with Dr. Waters, and I, like, I thought that was one of the best English classes I've ever had. Um, I mean, every class at Gilman I've had, in our English department at Gilman is amazing, um, but just, like, that new experience at Bryn Mawr was really interesting to have, and I thought, like, um, I got really lucky with a class that really gelled with each other, and um, vocal discussions and um, like people just shared like really complex thoughts, like stuff that I would never think about. So mm-hmm. that class experience was great for me. And it's part of the reason why I brought the book not only because I think it's like just an amazing novel, uh, but it reminds me of sort of the discussions and stuff that we had in that class and um, how interesting they were. So Beloved by Toni Morrison it's about, um protagonist is Setha. She um, is a slave that escapes um, and they live in um, Ohio but um, 18 years after she escapes she sort of still is grappling with the torments and, like deep trauma of um, being enslaved and um, yeah it, another sort of major, major plot point around revolves around her daughter Beloved which is um, what the novel is named after um, but her baby daughter died um, when she was really young and um, this ghost of her daughter sort of demon ghost whatever you want to call it comes back and sort of um, visits her and it's At its core, it's about a story about motherhood and sort of um, the traumas of motherhood and like sort of the sacrifices a mother has to make um, intersecting with the traumas of slavery. And um, yeah, so I just really enjoyed reading this novel. Um, really enjoyed discussing it with um, people in my class. Hmm. Um, yeah.
0: How did um, Dr. Waters, I guess, set up that class? Because I'm, re- I'm reading the book The Underground Railroad with by Colson Whitehead in my English classes now, mm-hmm. and similarly, it's a book about slavery, and it's a book about a, a enslaved girl named Cora who escapes to the North. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different because it's, well, I guess similar with the ghost aspect of um, *Beloved*. It's sort of fantastical in some ways, like it's not exactly historical. Okay, um, it's historical fiction, so I think Colson Whitehead throws in some magical realism like the underground railroad for instance is an actual train mm. underground in this book um but today was the first day new semester where i set that up in class and tried to teach about it um i'm just curious what dr waters did in your class in particular that made it so so memorable for you
1: yeah i think i'm i'm trying to think of like how she introduced the text but i just remember watching um like sort of some interview clips with tony morris and herself um describing this novel and describing sort of like who she wrote it for and like what the story is about and sort of the perception of it um so we watched a bunch of interview clips I think, that, um sort of we read articles about the novel itself like from um a third party describing like sort of um the perception of the novel its context in history um but another thing that she did I think was keep sort of the aspect of mystery in this novel it's like it's not a full mystery but there are definitely some elements of suspense um mm-hmm. that she tried to keep and um just let us sort of uh, figure out for ourselves that was a big thing um it was pretty like a um self-directed sort of exploration of this novel um just let us read it and sort of grapple with like the very real and um issues and sort of problems um in this novel and if anyone had a question about like you know anything logistically or um some, something's context in history like we would have a discussion about it um but yeah, it's, it, from what I remember, it was very self-directed and sort of discussion-led.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. I was talking today about how you learn about slavery in history class, and you learn the facts, you learn the details, you might learn some first hand accounts about what slavery was like in the United States, but I don't think there's anything like a book where you actually empathize with a character, get to know a character, feel for a character, and almost endure the psychological experience with that character. It's a little bit mm-hmm. deeper of a, a emotion that's triggered than when you're studying just the facts of history.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, the way she's written this novel, you gain such, like, a personal interiority to these characters that, um, like, you can't even begin, obviously, to understand everything that they went through, but um, you just feel that much attached to them, like you said.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to... Um... I'm trying to also have my classes watch a movie mm-hmm. um, about slavery, too, just to get like a full, um, you know, replication of that t- period in time so that they can f- fully understand, you know, to the best of their ability what this was like and just make it almost a three dimensional learning experience for them. So yeah. one of the movies that I have on the list is a pretty horrific movie that I watched a couple of weeks ago, Emancipation with Will Smith that just came okay. out on Apple TV, I think. But it's set in black and black and white. It's filmed in black and white, and it's about an escaped slave. And you know, it's a pretty hard movie to watch. But mm-hmm. I think that's part of the the point of it is that this is a it's a very difficult and uh, traumatic period in American history that kind of need to think about and
1: understand mm-hmm. as best as we can. Yeah. So I think placing it in historical context is like the best thing to do, and answers questions that you might have throughout the text, but also adds a new layer to sort of what these characters are dealing with. So I think that, yeah, I think that's awesome.
0: I think it's a great choice, beloved. I read that book in college and I think a lot of it, it's a difficult book. A lot of it went over my head.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is, I mean, I've annotated my book sort of like the way I think like a high school student would like, Oh, teacher's going to check these annotations. But this was sort of the first um, book that I annotated like thoughtfully, I think. And I have like, you can see like these little um, tabs on the sides here and stuff. So, but <laughs> um yeah, just like so many connections that I found the way she's written it. And I, I was talking to Mr. Hastings. I took Ulysses, um, this last semester now. Um, but sort of like how the writing styles are sort of similar in the sense that things are arranged in this perspective of, um, you gain access to sort of these thoughts, the more you read and sort of arranged backwards almost. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think just that the beauty of reading, it was like such a cool experience for me. Um, finding like symbolism and, um, other things that we talked about in class that this is like one that I didn't mind taking like the extra 20 minutes to annotate thoroughly. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. From
0: what I remember of beloved, it's, it's like free indirect style. A lot of the Mm -hmm. thoughts just appear and you have to, There's no indication that it's somebody's thoughts. You have to put that, put that together in Mm -hmm. your own annotation, your own mind.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Free indirect discourses, chapters that are written like in different styles, sort of similar to Ulysses again. A lot of, themes that you really go over your head went over my head like um, when we were talking about it in class but um, yeah I think annotation I mean this is to your point as an English teacher like annotate your books <laughs> it's a good thing to do Yeah. and you'll get more out of the novel.
0: Um, what was Ulysses like reading that in class?
1: It was an experience for sure I think I definitely gained like so much appreciation for the novel itself and sort of the making of the novel. The biggest I think thing that I enjoyed about that class was learning about how James Joyce wrote this novel and sort of like everything that everything is so meticulously planned out like and Mr. Hastings showed us like schemas that, um, of like the itinerary of this day so Ulysses takes place over one day and I'm sure like Mr. Hastings and you've talked about this but everything is so like a timetable of every minute of every second of this day is planned out where he's going to be like who he's talking to mm-hmm. um, keeping track of like, I wanna say, like almost 100, char- 100 characters um, so I think you gain, and when you first read it, it's like, oh, this is a chore. Like I, there's so many things to keep track of, and like I don't know what I'm doing, and everything's written in a style that I can't understand. Um, but the more you read about it, the more you learn about it you like really grow to appreciate the things that I feel like you can't understand It's like I read it I didn't understand it, but I know that it means something and I know that it was like very thoughtfully placed in there And so I'm gonna keep going and not let it taint my perspective of like how much I'm enjoying this novel
0: Was it a slog the first time around reading and I mean I remember reading it in college and I was in the middle of lacrosse season that at that point, and I was like this is just so much for me to yeah. To to do right now. It's, it would take you Thank you for. I mean, I walk by Mr. Hastings' office and he has it on his desk every single day, reading it, rereading it, writing
1: about it, teaching about it. He's reread it like <laughs> so many times. I don't know how he does it. Um, but definitely the first couple chapters, I think, were a learning curve. Um, Mr. Hastings introduces the course with two other um, texts by Joyce um, that I think help you help prime the novel a little bit. But the narrative styles change like every page and like um like you were talking about with beloved the thoughts sort of just appear on the page without any introduction so you have to decipher what's thought what's narration what's sort of like a third maybe um arranger voice of this like narrator um so yeah there's a lot and like the community is so like things are not figured out about this novel to this day like things are debated over things are hmm. um contested um so i think yeah, like, it was just definitely the first couple chapters were tough. Did you read his guide to yeah. Ulysses in class as well? Yeah, simultaneously. So um, how I read it, and, like, I talked to him about it, like, how he wants us to use the guide. But um, before a reading of a chapter, I just sort of read his guide. It set sets up the plot, I think, was one thing. Like, I just want to know what's going on in terms of plot. Um, and it sets up sort of the different narrative styles and how to read it, how to go about it. And there's some humor in there, so that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, keeps it lighthearted. But um, yeah, sort of just to prime up the chapter. I didn't want to um, like rely on it too much um, just so I could have like sort of my own experience reading the novel. But um, yeah, still haven't finished it. We didn't get through all of it. So I'm hoping um, either this semester I'm a little more free to sort of catch up on the parts that we skipped over and um, finish the novel because I think, I mean, I... I would waste that experience if I didn't so yeah, yeah, that's amazing
0: Well, I was telling you when I walked when we walked in together uh, I think one of the coolest things ever was going to Shakespeare and company this past summer and seeing Ulysses the original and then Patrick Hastings yeah. guide in the window. I mean it's super
1: cool I know it's amazing. He's talking at the Library of Congress um, later this week, which is amazing He uh, gave us a little preview of his speech and yeah And just ta- him talking about like how it's all gone full circle for him is, is super cool.
0: Yeah, I think if you could take that class with Patrick, I mean, you got to anyone. You like, you will never have an experience like that again. You may be somebody in college, but I don't know. No one like Patrick Hasing who who wrote the guide. I know, <laughs> <laughs> literally wrote the guide. So that's pretty cool. You got to take that class.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited for this semester too. Um,
0: so thinking about your time at Gilman, last four years, like, what are what are some of the best things about Gilman in your minds? whether it's classes, community, activities, things about the school, teachers, mm-hmm. things that you just have really enjoyed in your time here?
1: Um, I th- The first thing that comes to mind is obviously the people. I think um, not only the teachers, but your, like, fellow students and, like, um, the lunch staff and, like, people at the front desk, like, literally every single person that's a part of this community um, is just so thoughtful of everyone around them. I think, like, that's one thing that, Gilman does really well is like it teaches you to be aware of the people around you um Mr. Smythe always says to you know say hey in the hallways but even stuff like that I think coming here it makes you feel less isolated less sort of like um it makes it reminds you that you're part of this like sort of bigger community um I think another thing that Gilman does really well is it values its sort of resources and I think um like the art program is a really good example like things are um Really prioritize in a sense like that the music programs and stuff. So, um, and everyone really cares about like what they're doing. You don't have a, you don't have one teacher that like is um, resentfully teaching this class, or you don't have like mm-hmm. a student that maybe um, maybe a certain day they're like oh, I don't want to come to class. But in the large scheme of things, everyone wants to be here, and I think that's a big part of of this community. It's mm-hmm. like everyone's like thought awareness and sort of thoughtfulness of what they're doing at all times.
0: Were you a freshman or an eighth grade when COVID hit? Freshman. You were a freshman. So you missed all of freshman year, or the last half of freshman year. Last half, yeah. And all of sophomore year?
1: Feels like it, yeah. Pretty much? Pretty much. I think all of sophomore year was hybrid. Um, I think we maybe got to a point where we were all coming in, like cohorts, whatever, but I try not to think about it
0: too much. And then I feel like some of last year we had— masks on
1: at least yeah yeah definitely for the first half of the year I think
0: so I don't know from your perspective what was that like having so much of your high school experience almost eaten up with with COVID and then coming back for your senior year and being like almost freed in a sense to to enjoy your classes and get the full community impact that Gilman offers
1: I think I mean like it's so hard to sort of think about like you know what would, would have happened differently or whatnot so um, it really just put things into perspective and I think it created this level of um, gratitude for Gilman and gratitude for like the community because when we came back all of us were ready to come back and ready to sort of you know be a part of the school like have our last senior year at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, for me personally just like helped me to realize that like every day of being here I sort of enjoy being here and because there was a point where like you couldn't come into school, you couldn't hang out with your friends, you couldn't talk to people in the hallways. Um, so I, I feel like the little things like that are much more enjoyable and like, um, yeah, just put everything into perspective for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember the day that we heard that we weren't going to come back and mm-hmm. it was so shocking. It was very quick. We had just played a lacrosse game and the athletic directors came out and said, yeah, you guys need to take all your stuff and go home. Go we don't home. know. Yeah. And then from there on, it was just like, I think it was March 23rd or whatever. And mm-hmm. the rest of the year was shot. Yeah,
1: we were in the middle of a musical Fresh freshman year that was like um, in the midst of rehearsals and stuff and we were like, oh, yeah, you know Coming back after spring break like we're gonna have a show, but yeah, it's right uh, before spring break Yeah, right before spring break. I think the 12th. I want to say March 12th um, But yeah, it was such a dystopian sort of <laughs> sort of day to live um, one that will go down in history for sure
0: Yeah, I think I learned about this term in psychology class in college called flash flashbulb memory maybe and it's basically where there's something that happens in your life that you'll never forget exactly what you're doing mm-hmm. at that time so for a lot of people it's 911 mm-hmm. for some people it's JFK's assassination i think i think you will never forget finding out that you're going home and like have to be on lockdown mm-hmm. during covid-19
1: yeah definitely i like you said i remember where i was like how i heard about it um so yeah but i mean i'm just glad to be back for senior year in the most normal way possible and um like I said, I'm just trying to enjoy everything because I honestly it has felt like a blur up to this point mm-hmm. um, with the first semester. So I'm hoping to just like take every day um, at a time. Um, my friends and I are really big on that too, um, just like reminding our, each other about that, and, yeah. you know, so.
0: So tell me a little bit about uh, Brown and how that all panned out for you and maybe the first time you went there, why Brown? What it was like? getting in. Yeah, for sure. Some background on your college admission.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, so I started really thinking about college. I mean, the um, college counseling office, obviously, um, at the end of junior year sort of sets you up with, um, answering questions, just like getting almost to know yourself and what you would want in a college. And, um, this summer was, we, my family and I sort of went up the East coast and toured a bunch of colleges up the East coast. And, um, the big thing for me, I think, when um, when I stepped onto Brown's campus was just sort of the atmosphere of the city and then, like, um, College Hill and the atmosphere of the people. Um, for me, I knew location was a big thing um, in terms of making a decision for um, for myself. I didn't want to be, like, in the middle of nowhere. and I didn't want to be in, like, the busiest city in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so finding that balance of, um, like, a sort of classic college lifestyle with the green and everything, but also... Um, a city to go to to you know have fun and explore um that was a big thing for me obviously providence is not the biggest city in the world but it's still i think a super cool city and um yes the location was a big thing um another thing was when you go on these college tours like you'll start hearing, hearing the same thing over and over again of what they're trying to advertise and brown um really really focused i think um in, uh on the people and sort of the collaborative atmosphere of brown i think that's something that was emphasized more than other schools that i visited um was how everyone here is works together for your success and it's not competitive um i mean it is competitive but it's not like um, everyone's out to get you and i think that was one thing that um struck with me and sort of reminded me of here of gilman like um i knew that's something that uh I mean, I've been going to school year for like 10 years, so escaping the, the vibe of Gilman was something that was gonna be hard for me. So mm-hmm. finding a place where I felt like the values of Gilman and sort of that atmosphere of people working together, people like enjoying each other's company um, was really big for me um, in looking for a school. And so um, I made the decision to apply early this fall. Um, and throughout that process, you know, Ms. Ross was my college counselor. She was amazing. Um, And I also talked to Mac um, Nichols, who is at Brown right now um, and who I knew um, last year when he was a senior. So and he was really helpful in explaining to me sort of um, like workload and stuff like that. But also the one thing that he said that stuck out to me was he feels like he's going to a school full of superheroes um, Hmm. because everyone's like so talented and like um, everyone um, really cares about like the thing that they're doing. And it's so cool to like meet new people and like meet everyone you meet is, like, super good at, like, what they do. Yeah, Um, yeah. So that was something that stuck out to me that I was like, that sounds super cool, and that sounds like a place where I would enjoy being. Um, Right. So, yeah, I applied early this fall, got in um, over winter break, and um, I actually uh, am also applying for Brown's dual degree program with Rhode Island School of Design. So my portfolio for that um, program is due today. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, so that's something that um, (laughs) I – i'm applying for i wrote like the extra supplemental and everything but i'm not totally um sure if that's something i wanted to pursue because it's a five-year program and um you're getting two degrees from two schools so it's like double the amount of credits almost that you have to acquire um so i've been doing research about it um i um just now, trying to see if it's fit for me
0: now what what Exactly is that program and what would you focus on if you were admitted to it?
1: Sure um, So it's a five-year program at both Brown and Rhode Island School of Design RISD Their campuses are like practically on top of each other RISD is one of the best art schools in the country um, and you um, Basically for the first year you live at RISD um, you sort of experience RISD as a freshman as you as you would if you were just enrolled in RISD second year you're at Brown sort of sophomore at Brown and um, the next three years are um, in between both schools and you earn um, a BFA from RISD and then um, a degree in anything from Brown. So the point of the program, and it's it's 15 people a, a year, so they accept a little cohort of 15 people okay. that are a part of this program a year. And it's really just specialized, I think. So for me personally, um, I would probably major in painting at RISD. And then um, I've been sort of thinking about architecture at Brown. or um, But I think i really undecided at Brown just because the curriculum is so open and I just want to explore all my options first but um, for me I just knew that wherever I was gonna go I wanted to keep pursuing art um, in any way shape or form so to have this degree where I can sort of uh, continue that passion but also not like have it be my whole thing because I think a lot of the times when you turn your passion into um, sort of a job or like something you need to seek in- income off of it can um, you learn you lose sort of the love of it so I knew I didn't want to like necessarily go in that direction um, but something just, just have art, um, as a constant still mm-hmm. for me. So, um, yeah, so I'm applying for that and we'll see how that turns out, but also because it is so much work for both, uh, degrees, there are certain restrictions on like study abroad opportunities or extracurricular opportunities, or even just the social aspect of living on RISD for the first year and not living around yeah. and yeah. vice versa. So i was I'm thinking that weighing all the options out, um, talking to some people, and hopefully we, you know, make the right decision at the end of it. But it's a super cool opportunity that I wanted to pursue. Um, hmm. So
0: that's awesome. So it seems like if you apply to this, if you put all your stuff in, and you end up doing that, you're you're sort of going all in in some ways on painting and, and that route, right? Yeah,
1: I would say so. I mean, I've like as far as I've thought about like a possible career path in the future, I think architecture is definitely one that um, I've given the most thought to, just because it combines like a lot of the things that I think. Um, I enjoy doing whether that's um, expressing myself cre- creatively um, through art but also just the more logistical side of things and right um, I've always enjoyed like a viewer of architecture like Architectural digests and like going abroad mm. and like um, learning about the architecture and um, so it's something that I've always gravitated towards learning about so um, and I think um, a degree in painting would just sort of help the creative foundations that you need for a career in architecture and that's sort of what I talked about um, in my Why Brown essay, um, there's just a bunch of things that I think go into architecture, especially like today, um, sustainable architecture and um, learning about like the history of it, implementing that. Um, so, and Brown sort of obviously lets you explore all all bases and sort of covering um, the topics that I think are important. Um, in terms of, like, a career in architecture. So it's the most thought I've given to a career option. I don't like to, like... Yeah, it's thinking. tough
0: to do that before you actually go to college. To yeah. p- but but if you're passionate about something, you know, I mean, I couldn't have said the same, even though I loved English going into college. But, man, architecture, thats if you have a mind for that, you know, I mean, I, I can't even set up the IKEA furniture <laughs> stuff. If, if, you, if you're good at that yeah. I mean, and you like to do it and it's interesting to you, then you should. You should definitely apply and go in.
1: Yeah, I've always had um, the house that we live in right now, My um, we bought and renovated and um, added on to it. So I feel like I was like, I want to say 10 or um, 11 when we did that. And that experience was really formative. Like it was like construction and like sort of, I don't know, I was really interested in that. And around the house, I do. I'm like the handyman around the house, like um, renovated our basement this summer and like, wow. um, our family room, just like an accent wall in our family room or something. Um, so yeah, it's something that I enjoy doing and like I don't know there's something like hands-on about it that I enjoy Mm -hmm. um so yeah we'll see we'll see how it pans out I mean I'm not sort of um committing myself to anything yet
0: yeah Um, yeah. I'll give you a instead of a book recommendation a show recommendation that you probably have already seen on Netflix called abstract it's a series of different I guess artistic skills that they I guess follow masters or, or or really proficient professionals as they go about their day I think and there's one on design there's one on painting there's one on architecture um, so it's a it's a mini series on Netflix that I think you'd like called
1: abstract yeah that would be thank you yeah Definitely check that out yeah
0: um, I remember watching that I have a friend who's really into architecture who's doing a program in spain right now Yeah, um,
1: it's stuff like that. Like I mean, yeah, I think architecture affords you those opportunities of like travel and you know
0: Yeah, even if you can't go abroad through this program as you said you you will be able to for sure mm-hmm. at some point So sounds pretty sounds pretty cool um can I ask you about just your application process to colleges and writing the essays? I know you said that you wrote a little bit about architecture in this particular mm-hmm. one, but when you applied to Brown, what did you actually have to submit in terms of materials for application? And would you write your essay?
1: Sure. Um, so I everything sort of through the common application. So um, common app you is how you submit the applications for um, almost all the schools you're going to apply to. And so the Common App requires one um, personal statement essay, which is about 650 words, about a page in a little bit. Um, and that essay I started writing over the summer. That's really the big one that I think um, people tell you to get out of the way um, as soon as possible, um, just because um, sort of the one with, like, I guess the most pressure on it or the one you think of. So this summer I was just brainstorming ideas for that one. And I think the biggest piece of advice that I, th- I got and um, I would give to someone if starting the college application process is just to... Like, have a notes app going of just, like, things that you think of and just write them down. Like, you never know what's going to evolve into a really good idea. And the other b- biggest piece of advice is whatever you're thinking um, an admissions officer wants to read, they don't want to read. It's like they've seen um, everything under the sun in terms of college applications. So something that is specific to you, personal to you, written in a way that's, like, you're selling yourself, but don't try to sell yourself. You know, be authentic.
0: Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. One thing I say when I have students write personal essays is be weird. Mm -hmm. Like, be weird. It's good. I want to read something weird and something bizarre and something that I can't look up online or can't get from ChatGPT or, you know. It's like I want something that's unique and cool and original
1: and you. Mm -hmm. So I wrote my Common App essay about my voice change. Um, Going through middle school, puberty (laughs) starts and your voice drops. And uh, that was like... Like not an understatement, a pretty traumatic moment in my life. I just feel like I, I, I you know, sang middle school and yeah. sort of had like this very high soprano voice, and then all of a sudden, over the course of two months, it just drops like right all of a sudden, and I don't know. I sort of lost my footing, and I like lost the confidence, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Gotta, you have to learn how to sing again." Almost. Wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, no, it's it was tough, and I think specifically Miss Beckman always makes fun of me because she's like in all my years of teaching you've had the worst voice change i've ever i've ever come across so that's what my common app essay was about and sort of navigating um that experience but also in the large scheme of things becoming comfortable with a change and just becoming comfortable change in general and like seeing what new opportunities change opens up for you. Yeah. Um, and then Brown requires three supplemental essays. Um, so the first one is sort of a why Brown statement specifically about the open curriculum, how you would use the open curriculum to the best of your needs. And I talked about um, sort of the intersections that I saw in architecture between um, environmental sustainability and history and art um, and painting. and. Um, so just cover a bunch of disciplines, um, about how you would explore the open curriculum at Brown. And then, um, the second, uh, essay is about sort of a challenging perspective, N- like, uh, describe a time that you, um, sort of had an, a perspective challenged and how did you react to that? And like, how did you have that conversation? So I talked about, um, an experience with my dad that I had just a, a cultural difference, um, between my parents who are immigrants, um, and grew up in India, sort of, um, Sort of had a conversation about something and um that sort of conversation how i reacted and how he reacted how we had that Um, Hmm. not even like the biggest thing in the world just like a small you know cultural difference that we happened upon and talking about that and then the third one is um describe something whether spectacular or mundane describe something that brings you joy so i talked about um Our front yard our garden in our front yard that I chose to sort of like start um, a couple years ago Hmm. and like I Our family is so bad at like keeping things alive Like we are the worst like plant family ever like a plant enters our house and it'll die probably in two weeks Um, So our landscape um, like our landscaping out front wasn't like the best and so we're the corner house on our street, too and um, We live in Ruxton, so you know predominantly white neighborhood. I remember when we moved in it was kind of like a, a thing just like a brown family in this neighborhood um, that my dad and my parents in general just had to navigate. um, And there was some backlash to that, which is crazy to think about. But um, so just talking about how I thought that if, you know, I made like our front garden look nice, it would sort of change that perception. But in the midst of it, finding joy in the process of that garden and finding like joy and just like planting things, seeing them grow. um, Yeah. So that's those are the three essays that I wrote for Brown, and they're really short. I mean, the biggest t- difficulty, I think, is just making sure you fit everything in the word limit. And um, Mr. Cheney, who is, like, like one of the, like the most amazing people I know, he's, like, so awesome, and he works with me in Paragon, um, really helped me. I met with him a couple of times to just discuss writing these essays and discuss, like, you know, what he thinks of them. And, um, like you said, like, be weird like be tell those stories show rather than tell like paint a picture for them in their mind Mm -hmm. and cut the stuff that you don't need like there's a bunch of sentences that i had that were like oh yeah colleges are going to want to hear something like this and they're just cut that like you don't need it um the more you are authentically sort of describing your experience the more that they're going to see and i think um he also helped me in the sense that for my common app essay i was i think it's important to show a bunch of aspects of your personality so just making a list of like you know how I think about myself, sort of what I enjoy, and including those moments somehow throughout an essay, just so if someone gets a full picture of you from beginning to end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so those meetings w- with him were invaluable. But I really loved the process of writing those essays. I mean, I, I didn't, didn't have to write like, you know, 20 or like 30-something, like some kids do. Yeah. Um, but because, I don't know, I just like, I really like writing, but it's never something that... I've sort of thought about more than like I have to write this paper for our school. Yeah um, So this was the, really the first time that I wrote about myself in a way that was like authentic and Yeah, yeah
0: some in some ways cutting it down to 650 words is Stuff. is even harder more difficult than writing You know 1200 word essay It's mm-hmm. like you actually have to think about how this if this matters or not mm-hmm. to paint a picture of myself um, So that's awesome. Those sound like really cool essays. Um, yeah, and I think the advice about keeping a notepad or keeping notes on your phone is just, it's great for a writer in general. It's yeah. like, you're not going to sit down at your keyboard at 10 o'clock and write an essay. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work like that. Or it's not going to be fun. You know, it's its fun when you have an idea about yourself or an observation that you make in the moment mm-hmm. and you preserve it somewhere. And I think this is kind of what I'm gathering about you a little bit with the annotations and doing this and, and posting um, certain artists next to your work is that that stuff all adds up and makes the creative process fun
1: yeah you know? uh, yeah I mean the little things like especially in the creative process um, about the, the process itself I mean that's one of the biggest things that I've learned over the years is like the process matters so much more I was really sort of um, like um, product oriented I guess like the end product is sort of how I valued success um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's like a biggest piece of advice that people just get in life and throughout um throughout life in general so yeah the process i like finding joy in the process
0: cool man well thank you very much for uh your time today it's an awesome conversation it's great to get to know you a little bit more um hope you enjoyed it hope it was fun for you yeah
1: totally i'm Um, so excited i was looking forward to this for so long (laughs) big fan glad
0: that we finally got you on and uh best of luck in semester two of your senior year thank you
1: so much mr scott thank you thank you